As her business grew, she realized that a lot of people from the same team at the same company were coming into her practice. So be five or 10 folks from the Google sales team, one quarter, a dozen the next quarter. By the end of the year, it'd be like 40 or 50 people from the same team at the same company who would come into her practice. And so there was something around how folks were finding out about this service through work. And we got to talking about how this could become a business and how we could meet people at work. And we generated this idea of a dental office on wheels. We could take it to people at work. And we were talking about opening a third office. Uh, and then 2020 happened. COVID happened. Our mobile office closed immediately, indefinitely. It didn't reopen after that. Our brick and mortar office was closed for about three months and the entire world changed. Welcome to The Value of One, The Power of All, a podcast created by the Ron Brown Scholar Program. Since 1996, this organization has been investing in the next generation of African-American leaders. And this podcast highlights the stories of the scholars, alumni, staff, and friends that make this program special. Hey everyone, this is Ray Pryor, 2015 Ron Brown Scholar, and on this episode, I'm excited for you to hear from Lowell Calder, 2005 Ron Brown Scholar and co-founder of Studio Dental. Since he was a little kid, born in Kentucky and raised in Indiana, Lowell always sought after a challenge. And no surprise, he was a triple major at the University of Pennsylvania, studying finance in the Wharton School of Business, International Studies, and Urban Studies. After a few years in investment banking when he graduated, Lowell headed off to Harvard Business School. But for a variety of reasons, his experience at HBS wasn't a typical one. And a big part of that was because he came into school with an idea. No one loves the dentist, but what if you didn't have to go to the dentist, but rather your dentist came to you? What if you took a modern, chic, tech-enabled dentist office? put it on a truck, and parked it outside of the headquarters of, say, Twitter, Square, Dropbox, or Airbnb, where employees could come for an appointment while they're already at work. If restaurants do it with food trucks, why can't dentists do it? That was the idea behind Studio Dental, the company Lowell left business school to launch with his friend and business partner in San Francisco. A couple of mobile offices, a brick-and-mortar location, and some big tech contracts later, Studio Dental and Lowell are both doing pretty well. Then, 2020 happens, and nothing is ever the same for Lowell or Studio Dental. Whether he was a kid moving to a new city or adjusting to a new school, or a CEO making tough decisions at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic with all of the social unrest across the country, Lowell is no stranger to adapting and reinventing himself as he continues to do today. Take a listen to our conversation. Lowell Calder, RBS05, someone like many listeners to this call for whom Ron Brown Scholarship changed the trajectory of my life, was born in Lexington, Kentucky, moved to Indiana when we were, I was in uh, third grade, eight years old. And so when I think about where I grew up, it was Indiana. I was a kid who was really smart and really unchallenged maybe in some of my academic environments so I got into a lot of trouble. I was always in and out of the principal's office and uh, when I was in middle school I had a teacher who kind of identified that in me and recommended that I do something about it. She's on the board of a private school in my hometown and she recommended that I take a test to try and get a scholarship to that private high school and took the scholarship, got into that school as a college prep school. And that really put me on the pathway to find Ron Brown and to get myself ready to go to college. I ended up going to Penn for undergrad. And maybe I'll step back. I think for a lot of folks, a lot of Ron Brown people, home is a really challenging, can be a really challenging experience. I think, you know, part of my journey is struggling both in school, but and, and at home to figure out who I was and how I wanted to navigate the world. And I think the combination of being at a school that helped to get me ready for college and then being able to go to college in a way that I could afford is something that opened up a lot of doors for me that I 
wasn't aware of was going to happen before it happened. Yeah. Um, went to Penn for undergrad. I was in, did a warden. I was in the Huntsman program. So it's a dual degree program in the warden and the College of Arts and Science. Uh, I got a degree in finance there and also in international studies. I got a third degree as well in urban studies. So at the time I was thinking I wanted to study how to use economics and use the Wharton side of my brain to impact and develop the communities that I grew up in. When I was graduating from college, I was, did not really know what the range of options were for work, really only presented with banking and consulting. I really wanted to be a consultant. I didn't get any consulting offers, but I got an offer from an investment bank, JP Morgan. And so I graduated in 09, went to JP, work on Wall Street for a few years. And when I got there, I absolutely hated it. Um, I lasted one year in my analyst program in New York and ended up leaving that program and moving out to San Francisco. You may have talked about this already, but I uh, was on a team of one analyst with supporting 13 people and really just had moved to New York with my friends from college. And so it was basically a fifth year of college and a crazy year of work. And um, I wasn't enjoying the job. And I was dating some guy who lived on the other side of the country in San Francisco. And I figured I should leave the job. And if I want to try the relationship, that I should move to San Francisco. Um, so I found a job in San Francisco. It was still in investment banking, but it was a much different culture. And I worked in that job for two years, moved out here to San Francisco, built that relationship, and now I'm married to that person. Yeah. And we have a kid. And you have a kid. Yeah. That's awesome. I wanted to, to go back, if you don't mind, to, to you in middle school. Teacher approaches you and says, hey, you're, you're a kid with potential. You should consider taking this test to go to the high school. And, but, but you're also a kid that it sounds like you, you probably were so smart that you were bored and therefore getting into things in school that really smart, talented, but bored kids do, you know, just, just trying to figure out who you are. Did you ever feel like that part of you was resolved after you got to this college prep high school that was challenged, got to Penn around all of these talented peers? Like, you know, was, was, or was, is this, did you realize that this is who you are and, and, and you always want to be challenged and looking for, for something new? That's a great question. Who I am today is who I was then. I think as an adult who has bills and jobs and responsibilities and kids, I've learned how to create structures in my life so that my different interests can go into things that are productive and then help me build the life that I want. So yeah, maybe that's the shortest answer. It's, I'm, it's the, still the same me. I've, as I've grown older, I've found ways to put that energy in things that are productive and useful. So yeah. whether it's hobbies or you know, building a company, for example, yeah. or building my family, it's all, I've found ways to, I'm, I'm always interested in managing multiple projects, being busy in different ways. And I've just applied that to things that I know will help me to create the life that I want and the outcomes right. that I want. Yeah, that's great. I want to, I want to circle back to that. And obviously we'll, we'll dive deeper into what that has looked like for you in the different chapters. Can you talk a little bit about your social experience at your, at the high school that you went to? And then what, if anything felt different or changed when you went to Penn? And, and what, if anything, felt different, even though you were with a lot of your friends from college, but still being in, uh, being in, in the banking culture, what, what was that like for you? And, and, and was it, did, it, did it inform how you felt you were able to show up in those spaces at all? Or, or do you feel like you were able to, to be your authentic self in, in those spaces? Yeah, so going to this high school, it was, there were 65 people in my graduating class. I think there were three black people in the entire high school and I was the only black male in my class. So, and, and it was a school that, you know, I went there for high school, but 80% of the folks who were in my class had been going to school together since they were in elementary school or pre-K. Mm -hmm. So definitely felt like an outsider and different from everyone else there. But I think that was the beginning of, of understanding me by understanding my story in the context of other people. You know, I think it was my first exposure to folks who, you know, had wealth and who owned homes, you know, who traveled all the time for vacations. And I think just a, a life experience of 
learning what those things are, what they mean, and also what they don't mean. You know, I was in class with folks who weren't any smarter than me or weren't any more talented than me or weren't any more ambitious than I was. Um, and so just learning that difference between what people have and what people come from and, and who they are was something that was an experience for that high school experience. I think that got amplified at, at college, right? So, you know, and it's, you make that global and you're in classes with, with royalty, with folks who are, you know, from all around the world and all walks of life. And it's also a time in your life where, again, for me, I was just figuring out who I am, how do, how, who is Lowell and how is he different from or similar to other folks in the world. And so I think definitely in college, I've found my, my crew and my people, but it's constant adjustment and calibration of who I am in the context of the world and the folks around me. Sure. I like that word you use, calibration. It's... That sounds like a, it's an interesting way to think about it. I've never thought about it before. I think a lot of scholars have calibrated, recalibrated in a lot of different spaces in their lives. And some of those experiences are really tough and, and challenging, but they also equip you with the skills to redefine who you are when those spaces change and evolve and when you change um, can kind of respond to the dynamicness of life, which also helps you as an entrepreneur. Obviously, as well, too. 100%. Um, 100%. Uh, so, so that makes sense. And so, fast forwarding to to you, you're you're in banking. Spend one year in New York. Decide you want to switch it up and, and go to California. Were you thinking that after those two years that that was going to be it for that you were going to do? The, did you know you were going to do something else, or were, was the plan that you were going to just do banking until you didn't care to do it anymore? Yeah, you know, I wasn't. When I graduated undergrad, I had uh, plans to go to HBS, the biz uh, business school. And so I knew that, that was coming. I knew that I had to get out of New York. Mm -hmm. I was just having, a, I had a miserable lifestyle and didn't like the work. And, you know, I just, that was the one thing I knew. And so that was kind of, let's figure that out and then we'll figure out what's next. So when I took my new job in San Francisco, I committed to at least two years. Uh, but knew that after those two years, I would go back to business school and figure out what I wanted to do from there. And when did when did like the light bulb of you want to go to business school or you want to go to HB, HBS? When did that happen? Was it while you were at Penn, or was it maybe in high school when you were thinking about what uh, what career paths you were you were interested in? Yeah, so I've always been interested in business. I feel like I'm usually not the smartest person in the room, but I'm highly capable. And though I think those are like skills that help you in business. When I was in high school, I had to work to pay for my, all my extracurriculars and things. And so I always I just have always worked and have had that <clears throat> bone in me. And so thinking about grad school, if I was going to go get a professional, you know, a master's degree, it was going to be in business. Right. And so I made that decision when I was an undergrad. I applied as a senior and, and got into HBS. Gotcha. But I think it's based off of my skill set. Not being the smartest, but being really capable and being able to kind of integrate a lot of different parts of problems. It's a it's a it's a dangerous skill set to have, and I'm sure you're being humble that, that you Look are. Uh, yeah, you're being humble that you're that you are you are definitely the smartest guy in 99.9 percent .9 of the rooms you're in. But if you think that you're not, and you move as if you can learn something from other people in the space, and then work hard and add something of value, that you know that that's a it's a special combination. And so I, I know that after those two years in California, you go to HBS and, and, and you start your program. How does that go? Hated it. <laughs> hated it. <laughs> yeah. Tell I me hated why. It. I, you know, I feel like, um, um, I don't know what you know about business school or folks who have gone to business school, but it feels like once you get there, well, let me say it this way. I'm someone who went to business school and I had friends before I got there. Um, it feels like sometimes mm -hmm. when you are in the first year of business school, there's a lot of excitement about these are the people who are going to be your best friends for the rest of your life. They're going to be your business partners for the rest of your life. Right. But I had that. I had a really solid core of folks who I were friends who I considered family. And when I went to Boston for business school, those folks were on the other side of the world, on the other side of the country. Right. And so, 
you know, I, it took me a while to, to jump in and to really wear the same shirt as everybody else. For me, the first year of business school, folks from a wide range of backgrounds, professional backgrounds, go get their MBAs. And the first year, everyone is kind of getting up to speed on what are some of the basics of business programs. And a lot of the stuff that we learned in the first year was stuff that it was a part of my undergraduate degree. So I think from an academic perspective, um, a lot of the, that first year was repeat. So that in combination with, you know, the fact that I didn't feel socially like it was the most amazing thing, the fact that I was paying for it. So there's a lot of travel and a lot of out-of-pocket out of expense associated with, with grad school. And I had the idea for Studio Dental before I went to business school as well. So all of those, and the more time I was in business school, it was, felt like it was taking, draining my financial resources and time away from this business idea that I had. And so all those really combined to me feeling like I was not in the right place at that time. Just drawing some parallels there. You already know everything pretty much in the classes. Socially, you're like, I've got my people already. I'm not, not opposed to making new friends, but I don't need to find my my besties here right now, you're probably bored in the same way that I imagine middle school you was a little bit, right? So I, I, I can, I can see, yeah. Same me in a different situation. Yeah. And, and so I, and I, I want to circle back to, well, we'll, we'll finish the, the HBS story in a second, but take me back before to the genesis of Studio Dental. Where does that idea begin? It sounds like in California, maybe during the couple of years you were there, working in banking, where, where does that start? Yeah, so I actually had a really close friend here in San Francisco who owns a dental practice. She started that practice uh, right after she graduated from dental school and it was wildly successful. I grow, grew really rapidly and you know, provide amazing dental services. But I think the key difference and the key driver to the growth was that her office was really well designed. It was modern and chic, and I think they really did something smart around the member, member experience that attracted folks really rapidly. As her business grew, she realized that a lot of people from the same team at the same company were coming into her practice. So be five or 10 folks from the Google sales team one quarter, a dozen the next quarter. By the end of the year, it'd be like 40 or 50 people from the same team at the same company who would come into her practice. And so there was something around how folks were finding out about this service through work. And we got to talking about how this could become a business and how we could meet people at work. And we generated this idea of a dental office on wheels. We could take it to people at work and deliver dental services out of this mobile office. So we had that idea the summer before I went to business school and put it on paper before I left. And I used that first year of business school to actually test that idea and to put it into business plan competitions. And I used it as my, you know, creative source for any assignments where it was appropriate. So I actually used that year as sort of a, a workshop to continue to kind of flesh out the idea. And that's fascinating. I, uh, I don't know if anybody enjoys going to the dentist, but I think if it was designed nice, modern feel and, and, particularly if I didn't need to go to it, but it came to me. That sounds like a very attractive uh, experience or something that, that nobody really wants all, to do. You know, It's all covered by your insurance. Your boss goes, so you don't really have to, you know, it's not like you're taking the day off work and all your right. coworkers are going. And, you know, if you have any cavities or anything, you can get them taken care of that same day or that same week. It's really an unlock of just convenience. Right. Or if it, if it can feel like something that you are looking forward to and that, doesn't cost you that much, either financially or, you know, work-wise with your other commitments, then it's really a, a no-brainer. Right. And then, I know we talked about this too, that where you are, you know, with, with tank companies in your backyard made a lot of sense for, for this uh, as well. Especially, I'm just imagining the, the, the busyness of, of tech life and, and, and that this convenience would be very, very attractive to, to folks. I mean, they yeah, share this, that, is back in, you know. this is back in 2014, too. There's, you know, this was when Uber was first starting to get busy here. And all of these tech companies were 
battling with each other for talent. And so, you know, the more perks that they could offer, the better off they'd be in terms of in the hiring market. So the idea that they could say that they have a, you know, a dry cleaner, they've got food in the office, and we also have a dentist who comes here once a quarter. It was a pretty easy sell for folks. Right. And and so you you kind of have two customers. You have the company that it sounds like maybe they they contract with Studio Dental to be a part of this comprehensive benefits, awesome employee experience. And then obviously you've got the you know more traditional business model of a dental office is that you you know charge or charge insurance for for different services. Uh, that's great. Did did you guys find? Well, maybe we'll we'll, we'll get there in a second. You can tell me if we're jumping ahead. This might be after you 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 officially launched Studio Dental. It sounds like a lot of the the buzz was just organic. I, I imagine you didn't need to do a whole lot of marketing, even though I imagine that the same folks who have the instincts to design a really beautiful dental office probably know how to craft a message well too, or how to to put together a, a picture or a, a, an experience to share about it. Was marketing a concern for you guys early on, or were you confident that that you found the medium through which people were clearly telling others about this great experience? So if you just find the right right person, it kind of domino effects from there. Yeah. So I think about everything as marketing. So the color we painted the trailer, how we describe the services, how we talk about our dentists, it's all marketing. So, and, and I think we focus a lot of time and energy on marketing. Yeah. Um, we found out really early that people talk about their dentists through word of mouth. So we did a lot of work around getting people to talk about this service with other folks. So our first introductions with companies like Dropbox, Twitter, and Square, Airbnb, we got introduced to these companies just based off of our own personal networks. So we got a friend to send a company-wide email at Dropbox back in 2014. And at the time, it was the size of company that that makes sense. Now those companies, right. those companies are too large for that to make sense. Right. But we would get someone who was known and trusted to recommend us. And then every person who came in, we sent them back into their office with two things. Pocket dental floss, two of them, and a pocket toothbrush. And the idea was you take, this, take these two back and give it to someone else. Right. And that was how we really incentivized folks to be talking about it. We got some right. newspaper articles and, and that, but it was really do an amazing job and give people an experience that they want to talk about. Right. And so like the delivery of the service for us was marketing. The mm. first thing that we say to you when you walk in was marketing. The way that we communicate with you via email was all marketing. We wanted to be designed in a way that folks wanted to talk about it. I like that. And, and so when you are using this to enter different, you know, maybe pitch competitions or present as part of your classes in your first year, what kind of reception did you get from the HBS network or community where people, oh my gosh, this is genius. Why isn't there one down the street in Cambridge? Or was there kind of like, uh, I don't really know what this is. I don't, I really thought about the dentist that much or that deeply. I don't really talk about it that much. What, what was kind of yeah. the reception in that year that you were using it to, as kind of the sandbox? That's a good question. So, you know, we were doing all these pitch competitions for what's called venture capital firms. And these are companies that uh, want to put in a little bit of capital and companies that are um, that, you know, don't have hard assets that they can grow really rapidly. A lot of Internet based businesses right now. Um, and they just didn't see how you could how this was a, an idea that they would back. Mm-hmm. They also that it was great. Sounds good. But the economics of it just didn't work out for them. Um, and so, you know, while folks agreed that it was something that was cool and that we needed. Um, we weren't getting investors to bite or say that they would be interested in investing in the company. Okay, gotcha. And, and I think that was probably a, doing that there was probably a great experience both for you and your partner because you not only get confirmation that maybe this financing structure of VC isn't going to work, you know, and maybe this just doesn't make sense for what we're trying to do. and Or maybe it does, you can find the right person. But it sounds like you also got a lot of confirmation that there's something here. This is very intriguing. This is interesting. I see how it could work. And, and, and I imagine you took some confidence back with you to, to California when, when you officially launched. So you, you, you have your first year at HBS. You don't enjoy it. You're bored, but you're, you're pitching. 
what happens after that? So I finished my first year, I packed all my bags and I moved back to San Francisco. By the end of that first year, I'd secured a loan from a bank to help us build out our first office. Uh, we had letters from a couple of clients who said that they, were, they would be interested in the service when it was live. And we were working on some designs with an architect to build the first office. And I said, Let, this is gonna be my internship this year and we'll see what happens. Um, HBS has a, a role, I can't remember if it's five or seven years, but if you leave, you can come back in five to seven years with no questions asked. So my, what I was thinking was I'm gonna go launch this company. If things fall, um, then I'll come back to business school, I'll finish my degree and figure out where I'm gonna go from there. Can you walk me through a little bit about what that process was like when you, when you explored how are we gonna get the money to build out the first office and, and a bank loan ends up following through, what was that process like for you? Because I, I know you, it sounds like maybe you went to, to Boston thinking maybe we find a VC that, that latches onto this idea, doesn't work out, and then you end up landing on a bank. Were there any other places that you, or any other ways that you thought about or attempted to raise some money to get started? Yeah, so we did a, uh, an Indiegogo campaign. Yeah. Um, remember Indiegogo? Oh, it's yeah. Like a yeah. starter competitor. I don't know if they're still around, but um, before we had a dental office, we pre-sold dental services. And uh, the first 50 people who participated in that were my classmates from HBS. Um, wow. And so I think that's, I, when I think back to the value of that education, and you know, they always said, this is going to be the folks who are going to help you out in your life and in your business. Like, that showed up for me 100% at the beginning of this company. Um, we pre-sold a bunch of services and raised a little bit of money then, but that Indiegogo campaign actually caught the attention of an accelerator that is focused on healthcare here in San Francisco. And the leader of the accelerator at the time reached out to us that this is an amazing idea. You guys have to be in, you know, come work here. And so that was our first office space. We moved in there the summer of 2014. And, you know, I made my first hire from someone who works there and still today I'm really close with the, the leader of that organization. And so that was um, a place where, you know, it gave us a, an office, some place to go every day to do work and some validation that we had some, we had something here that people were interested in. Yeah, I, I imagine that that's a, the biggest compliment. With that accelerator, it sounds like they give you office space. Did they give you any capital as well or, or, or take we any We didn't take any money from them, you know, this was okay. like um, a discussion that we, so, you know, we had this experience of trying to pitch to these VCs and, and no one biting. I think that experience really colored the way we thought about venture capital throughout the way we built the business. You know, after that, after being told no long enough, we developed a sense of like, these aren't our partners. Venture capital is not our partner. And, you know, there's more, especially with healthcare services, we were interested in redesigning the way it's delivered. We felt like investors wouldn't really understand how, what vision we had around dental services. And so we got really, left a bad taste in our mouth and and in times in the future when we were offered venture capital we would say no so we didn't take any money from this accelerator we just took the office space um but again like time and time again later in the company's history when we had the opportunity to invest or to take venture capital we ended up saying no and i think that had you know positive and negative impacts on the business right yeah maybe we'll maybe we can circle back to later on years down the line what what impacts you think may have changed or, or impacted yeah. the outcome so i just wanted to make sure i get this right so your 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 partner is a dentist has this office that is miles ahead of every other office that, that we've been to and it kind of inspires all of this but this first location it's a different one or is, is it kind of a, a kind of building from scratch off of what kind of she had already started or, or or was it or was it the same location great question so um so something else about her practice she owned it with another dentist that she went to business school with um the business was growing gangbusters but it was managed really poorly employees weren't happy uh, i think just the business stuff was not being managed very well and so she was interested in leaving that partnership and starting a new partnership where you know it's co-owned by a dentist and someone with operations business background and someone who could you know focus on member experience and so she actually at the same time i left business school she sold her practice 
and we jumped into this new practice together got it okay so you guys get along you start building how does that go what happens next you know i think like all construction projects it was you know took too long and it was over budget when you know we drove it up so the the trailer was uh, was built in los angeles area and we went down there picked it up on a sunday drove it back on monday had it stocked full of stuff on tuesday and started seeing patients on wednesday wow. we were ready we yeah. were you know at the end of you know the cash that we had in the bank and just needed to have some revenue some income from folks who were paying for services and that's a that's an intense 72 hours or so of uh Go it is. Get we're it ready. And... That was what we were doing. That you right. know, we're used to right. doing a lot of different things, and this what we were doing was starting this company. Yeah, I imagine, like you said, a lot of projects take more time and more money than you than you plan and hope. You guys were probably antsy, ready for it. Like, like really, hurry up. Why isn't it done? Or, or, or what are what are the delays? So I, I can see that being a really exciting time. I think for for both of us too, we get so much energy from serving people we our product is a service for people who hate going to the dentist never liked it never wanted to and our ability to wow someone every single day while multiple people day in and day out is really fulfilling um it's way more fulfilling than you know doing back and forth with chase about your bank loan it's way more fulfilling than you know digging into the details of uh plumbing drawings of your of your (laughs) office um, but for me, I still get drive and energy from delivering the service. And I'd say the same thing for my business partner as well. And just coming back to, to the financing piece, was your partner already having a practice and maybe having a kind of a blueprint about what you guys were going to build? Was that key in you guys securing the, the loan from the bank or was the bank kind of taking a big bigger risk than maybe we would think a bank would traditionally by, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, the fact that she had a practice that was successful was helpful, but the banks thought about a mobile office and they just didn't really know how to understand it. Right. Um, and so I think her, the fact that she had, had a practice was helpful, but the amount of loan that they gave us was so small and there, it, it took months of, of us getting there for them to get comfortable with the, with the idea. Right. And, and so you, you guys start seeing patients on that Wednesday, I guess over time, secure some of those, uh, the big companies that I guess weren't so big back then, but ended up being right. super duper big and, 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 and household names now. Can you share with me a little bit about what that growth was like when it officially started and, and, and hit? Was it exhilarating for the part of you that always wanted this and, and was looking forward to serving people so well and serving more people or was it overwhelming and kind of like drinking water out of a fire hose and you guys had more than you know what to do with? Yeah. There's so much that goes into delivering a service. Um, when I was in high school, I worked at Taco Bell and I like, I wrote all my business school essays about it. And it's an experience that I still refer back to in business today. Um, and you know, what fascinates me about a business like that is that we as customers experience it in one way at one time, you know, once, whenever we consume it. Um, but the operation has, is constantly running and there's just a whole machine of things that, for the Taco Bell example, you know, get that hot taco to you when you order it. And that stuff always just fascinates me, and I, and I love getting to the details of it. And that's what we did to start this, this business. You know, we had, I had someone who knew how to d- deliver a dental service, but everything else about how do you acquire patients? How do you file insurance claims? How do you decide what insurance, you know, what procedure code? How do you collect from insurance companies? How do you collect from patients when they didn't pay you enough? How do you collect from insurance companies when they didn't pay you enough? There's so much around being able to deliver a really high quality experience that I was really driven by and get really excited about today. So we spent the first year or so really as us two, the main two operators building the system. It was exhilarating more than it was overwhelming. And, and I think just the, the, 
fun of doing it with someone you're really close with and also delivering something that people, you know, are excited by and enjoying was, you know, we were running on adrenaline for that first year. Yeah. Um, I'd say after that, we started to hire other folks to help to support us. You know, that's a whole nother body of work as well. How do you, how do you take what you just did and articulate it, system, systematize it and teach other people how to do it? Um, and this is all stuff that you don't learn in business school. You don't learn in your personal life. This is, this is work. And um, it was, I, but I think that kept me busy. You know, I was never bored right. in those first couple of years. And uh, just being fully immersed in the deep end without having anyone telling you how to do it is, was a place that I felt really happy and exhilarated by. Yeah. Your, your, your thirst was finally quenched, sounds like, at least, uh, yeah. in, at least in, a, in a significant way. For a time, uh, going back to this, you you graduate from Penn. You spend first year uh, banking in New York, and then two years after that, you spend a year at HBS. And now you are a founder, a co-founder, an entrepreneur. Was being an entrepreneur something that you thought about that whole time? Because I know we we talked about some of your interests. You had interest in business, and and then obviously you had a background in finance from undergrad that you then took to to business school, but you could have all of those things and want to be a great executive at a company, similar to what you're doing now, yeah. right? So, it was was wanting to do your own thing and, and be your own boss or to be a, have a have a business partner like you have? Was that something you always desired, or was that something that you kind of discovered was a lifestyle and a, a work style that kind of fit who you are and, and mm-hmm. who you wanted to be? You know, I always wanted to be a general manager. Again, I think I can integrate a lot of different moving pieces to solve really complex problems. I think that's what general managers do. I had that experience of not getting these consulting offers that I wanted. And I, I think, you know, I had the experience in banking where I looked around, I didn't admire the folks that I worked for or, you know, didn't want to grow up to be them. And I think, you know, as I was leaving that banking experience, I was just feeling like I didn't want to climb a corporate ladder. That, you know, the job that I wanted at the level that I wanted to be at was not available to black MBA grads who have never, you know, who have had three years of banking experience. And so the job that I wanted didn't exist. And I think that made me more comfortable with starting my own thing, feeling that that level of responsibility, I wouldn't get going to work for somebody else. That level of ownership, I wouldn't get by going out into the job market. Right. So that kind of got me. I didn't. I never dreamed of being an entrepreneur. But when I kind of stacked up what I wanted to do with what was out there, starting my own thing was to me the best way to give me the work that I wanted. So you, you know, after that first year of running on adrenaline, I, I know that you guys end up having multiple locations. And and I remember last time we talked, you you described your model of a lot. You know, you have a few mobile offices that are going to different workplaces but then you guys decide to also do a traditional brick and mortar mortar one uh, as well can you talk to me a little bit about what when you made that decision and when when it makes sense and kind of the strategy behind that yeah so we had one mobile office that went to several different locations around the city of san francisco um we were really full really quickly within six months we were at 100 percent capacity um and that uh that office, office had two operatories in it. Cool. And our vision for the business was always to sort of have a hub and spoke model where we use brick and mortar offices as our hubs, but then use mobile offices as spokes to go around the city and acquire patients and then funnel folks back to our brick and mortars where we could do higher revenue, higher margin work. Um, so we took the energy of our full mobile office and raised some more money, got another loan, built a brick and mortar office. And, you know, I think... I went into that experience feeling like I was had some experience having built out an office before and having run the operation, but it's still a whole nother beast of building, of managing a landlord's environment and, and building a physical location that you know has its own issues and unforeseen conditions. 
Um, so that build out took probably about 18 months, again, longer than I wanted it to be and over budget. But it, part of the vision was to have mobile and brick and mortars. And we opened our brick and mortar office in 2017. This might be from my own knowledge since I, you know, I go to the dentist enough to get my cleanings and for them to tell me I need to get the back, you know, back two teeth and a little bit more. What are some of those? I imagine maybe like cleanings. It sounds like cavities can happen on the mobile, uh, on the mobile offices, but maybe the brick and mortar is. Are we talking things like root canals or or something that's a bit more intense and and, and uh, like you said, higher revenue, higher margin? Are those the kind of services that you're talking about? Exactly. Yeah, in the mobile okay. office, we can do pretty much anything you can do in the brick and mortar. Uh, okay. But in the but the the challenge of the brick and mortar, or sorry, the challenge of the mobile is scheduling. So I'm at Airbnb for three weeks, a quarter, but I leave and I'm somewhere else later. Right. And so, you know, this we are counting on having an, a centralized location where folks could know they could always go there. Uh, but then also we wanted to bring in specialists and specialists are the folks who they're, they can generate much higher revenue at much higher margins. But it's difficult to get a specialist to meet you at this location one month and a different location another month. The idea was to have the have that. Um, the brick and mortar be where we do things that just require a little bit more planning and coordination, you right. know, with specialists too, there you've got, you know, sometimes you'll send something off to the lab and you get the lab back to the office and you have to figure out where the mobile truck is based off where the schedule is. It's just a, a lot of scheduling complexity with the moving office. Right. Um, it made it really convenient for folks to come in and, and get their routine things and figure out what else needs to be done. But there are more complex coordination challenges that were just amplified when uh, when the office is also moving and before you want to have this brick and mortar where specialists can could go do those services had your partner had specialists at, at her practice as well or was having outside of just you know, i guess the more traditional dental hygienist was that new just bringing on new expertise new people to manage new uh, services like you said to to plan for and strategize what did did she bring some of that experience too, or were you guys both kind of figuring out how to do this kind of tangential thing to the more traditional dental work? Yeah, so most tra- most traditional dental offices will just re- have a network of specialists that they refer to. Right. Um, they are not, you know, affiliated. They're not in their office. You just, you know, someone needs a root canal or a really complex extraction. You can just refer to an outside specialist. Um, she always had that understanding of like, if we could bring this in house, that would be a much stronger business. Right. Um, it's not something that she did at her previous office, but it was always a part of how we wanted to build Studio Dental. Gotcha. Okay. You know, and from the patient perspective, I think that's, you know, even better as well. You know, we, our experience was so seamless that patients would be really frustrated when they had to call our specialists and they didn't have their stuff together as well as we did. Sure. So we were thinking that we could be able to bring it all in-house for the, the member, but also benefit us because we'd be able to make some more money off of it, keep right. some of that revenue in-house. I can immediately see complaints of, why do I go to Studio Dental to get my cleaning, but I just need this thing, I just need a scheduling done. Like scheduling in healthcare period can be a super cumbersome, difficult process. I'm sure yes. at Studio Dental it's easy. Payment can be a huge you know, just, just pain in the neck outside of just the money. And, and you guys make, made that experience really seamless. So business growing really nicely. You know, our, our brick and mortar office had five operatories. So from 2017 to 2019, growing from two operatories to seven operatories, we tripled the size of the business, you know, grew the team, grew the processes. And we were talking about opening a third office. Uh, and then 2020 happened. In March 2020, our COVID happened. Our mobile office closed immediately, indefinitely. It didn't reopen after that. Our brick and mortar office was closed for about three months, and the entire world changed. Right. Uh, our strategy was really around being meeting people at work. And here in San Francisco, people stopped going to work. People, most people, a lot of workers in San Francisco aren't even back in the office, um, and. So we spent 2020, 2021, just refiguring out what the, what we wanted to do with the business and what the new strategy was. It was a shocking change for everybody 
and in a lot of different ways, personally, work-wise, and across a lot of different areas of life, like you said, changed and some changed for good. What, I mean, what did you do? Like, like the, 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 like the, the, the lifeline of, of what you built this amazing company on, at least, I mean, we, at the time we didn't know, and like you said, and, and technically for the purposes of, of this, some folks are still not back. So it still hasn't ended quote unquote. Right. Mm-hmm. What, how, how did you feel? First of all, I, obviously you, you, you're going to strategize and, and figure out maybe how to pivot and, and to do other things. But what was that feeling like watching something that you had built since right, 2014 kind of explode a little bit, at least temporarily, yeah. if we didn't know how long it was going to be? Yeah. You know, the one of the reasons that I felt really comfortable leaving business school to start this business was that I knew that dentistry was recession proof that people always have teeth and, you know, the data is clear before 2020, even when the greater economy went into recession, dentistry stayed stable. Um, That wasn't what happened during COVID. (laughs) I think dentistry was even harder hit than than even other parts of healthcare um, because people think about it as elective and because of aerosolized particles, it was decimated. I even, you know, saw that, Dental offices that were in people's neighborhoods um, were were busier than than dental offices that were you know in closer to where people work. So yeah. I think all of our choices around let's be where people work, you know, were I think led to us being hit even harder by COVID. What do we do? Immediately, it's how do you increase the amount of money that you uh, have coming in? How do you decrease the amount of money you have com- going out? So right. for three months, it was, you know, crisis management and, and there were, there was uh, federal funds available. We had to renegotiate out the terms on any loans that we had outstanding. We had to figure out, you know, we still had to be open for our patients who had emergencies. Um, but it was really just scrambling to figure out what, you know, monitoring the news, figuring out how long this was going to last. And then also, you know, this is also the time where Black Lives Matter protests were billing over. And I just think there was a lot of social unrest. unrest. And as a CEO, it was challenging to manage the fact that we had a business that was changed forever. We were in a social environment that was changing um, and that we were all disconnected. Where, you know, in a company where we usually are with each other in person every day, we, we weren't. And it was just everything was new, everything was different, and it was it was crisis management for a good six months. Little little Lowell is definitely not bored anymore. <laughs> I was during, not bored during that during time. That time. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and I know coming out of you know whatever out of means out of the pandemic, you guys make some pretty significant changes to obviously you said the mobile office closes indefinitely, and just, that just doesn't make sense anymore. What changes end up coming out of that period over the last, over that like first year or two years of the pandemic? Yeah, so I'd say 2021 was just trying to get demand back. Yeah. Um, you know, we had to let go of a lot of people to match our team with the new demand that we had. We had to acquire new customers because our, you know, corporate customers were not delivering clients anymore. We had to figure out new go to market mm-hmm. strategies how to get the word out because, you know, word of mouth wasn't enough because folks weren't sharing this information in their office channel. So there was a lot of that. And then there was, you know, a focus on how do we redesign these operations so that they were the most efficient, highest impact, lowest cost. And so we got rid of some product lines that were more complicated and complex uh, and just scaled back our services to the things that we did really well and scale back our people to the people who did those things really well. And so we spent a lot of 2022 just figuring out how do we slim down the operation, design it so that it can run on its own really efficiently, and you know, change the strategy from trying to scale and having a bunch of offices to having one office that's high revenue, high margin, and operated really well. Obviously, you may have to make a lot of tough decisions, but I think letting people go during a time when obviously there's uncertainty everywhere, but but kind of reaching the conclusion that laying folks off is is what is best and what has to happen. 
walk me through what goes through your head as you made those kinds of decisions. And since the, they are, you, you have a, a duty or, or a responsibility to steward the business, but you're also a great guy and a human. And, and my hunch is you probably like these people since you work with them and, and you hired them and this, and, and this was a great place to work, not just to be a customer. So what, what was that experience like making those kinds of tough management calls? Yeah. I always think about it as a hat that I have to wear. As a CEO of this company, it's my responsibility to, to steward the business and the people who work in it. I think what made it challenging, particularly during COVID, and this is true always, the environment, the economic environment, the business environment, the competitive environment are never really clear. And so you really have to go off of what, you know, some gut instinct. But COVID was so new for me. I mean, that changed as a CEO was just so new for me. I think it took me a while to wrap my head around what was happening and what we should do as a result of it. Especially, you know, I think I'm an optimist also and felt like COVID was going to be over quickly and that, you know, we'd just go back to, to normal. And I think it took me longer than it should have to realize that this was a new normal that was different and smaller. Um, and I would say as a CEO, I think I took too long to make decisions around letting folks go and slimming down the size of the business and, and redirecting the operations. As a leader, who, who knows? You know, I think of this is, was an experience leading a business through this business cycle, and I will lead another business through another business cycle and will definitely bring this experience with me. But I guess in answer to your first question, I always just think about putting on a different hat. And it's not, you know, Lowell is still wearing that hat, but my responsibility is, is, is a little bit different when I'm wearing the CEO hat. And so after going lean with personnel and services and product lines and, you know, how you're acquiring customers, I know that Studio Dental is still here, but the chapter of Studio Dental in your life ends up concluding at, at some point. Can you share a little bit about when that became clear and, and, and what that process was like and, 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 and kind of where, where things ended up? Yeah. A new business with endless growth opportunities and a ton of problems to figure out is where I like to be. It's where I shine and where I can integrate disparate things to solve really complex problems. A pretty boring, well-run, well-executed, not sexy dental office was less interesting to me. And so as we got closer to achieving that milestone, I got more interested in finding a new body of work. My business partner did not feel the same way. I think she was really excited by the, the unsexy, execution-oriented work involved in that business. And, and I think COVID was just really challenging. As I said, this person is someone who was really close to me, really close when we started the business. But the challenges of managing that business and that relationship through COVID just took a toll. Yeah. Um, and so by the time that, you know, late 20, early 2020, we were ready to figure out a different way to operate that business um, and to not do it together. So I started looking for other things. I had a uh, had a kid in 2022 also, and just felt like I wanted to use that as a time to turn the page and start a new chapter. Okay. So I ended up selling my shares of uh, Studio Dental to my business partner and started looking for a new new job. Circling back to what you said earlier, when I asked you if being an entrepreneur was something you always wanted to be, and you're like, no, not necessarily. I kind of knew I was coming out of business school, and I knew what I could do, and knew that no one was going to hire me to do that. So it made sense then. And I imagine a similar, some similar thoughts happen when you realize that this chapter of Studio Dental is going to close. It's that it, it sounds like you don't necessarily have like another company that you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go start this now, the moment that, that, that Studio Dental, that, that you sell your shares, but you are looking for the next challenge, the next new business or new department, new program, new opportunity that has a bunch of unknowns and, and challenges that are there. And that is very entrepreneurial in nature, but I, I admire and am inspired by you that it doesn't need to look that way. And, and, and so when you were 
when you were looking for new opportunities, how were you talking about the experience at Studio Dental? Were you saying, I'm a great manager, which you were, and, and so I can manage anything, whether I'm the owner or not? Or was, was there a part of you that wanted to find another company that was kind of young and and then to maybe join them and, and to be a partner there as well? Or what, what were kind of what was the type of opportunity you were hoping to to land after that? Yeah. A couple of different things I was thinking about. One, I'll say I, I got a coach to help me understand mm-hmm. what, you know, how I should talk about myself in the job market. And we did some just work exploring what I liked and what I was good at and what areas I shined. I also knew that I was not looking for the total responsibility of a new company. Um, I was looking for something still with some, with a lot of problems to figure out, but just some more stability and not total responsibility. Though that was sort of my framework. Within that, I was able to say, I do healthcare delivery. I do innovative healthcare delivery. I know how to design healthcare delivery systems. I know how to do all the back office stuff. I know how to work with clinicians. And so I was looking for jobs that would use those skills. It was, you know, either going to be some large health system or some hospital, but I was thinking I have a diverse skill set and I want to use those in a company that, or in a space of a company that does innovative healthcare delivery. Was there any part of you that thought about going back to business school at that point? Or I don't know if you were within your window. Window that you was could. closed. Window, window closed. Was closed. If the window was open, no. You know, I live in San Francisco. Again, I'm settled here. I have a family here now. You know, it wasn't on the table to to go back. And you know, I think I learn a lot by doing. I feel like a lot of the education that I would have gotten there, I have gotten whenever I've needed it by either doing or by picking up a book from a professor who works at HBS to figure out what they'd say about this particular thing. So. Even after, you know, I, I never really had the desire to go back to HBS after um, leaving that first year. Yeah, I, I, I can see your, your evolution. And like I said, I think you, you, you have a, a gift of being able to bounce in and out of situations, not strictly based on certain parameters that need to exist or what you need, but when it makes sense for you. And, and when you come out of Studio Dental and, like you said, you're looking for an opportunity to be entrepreneurial creative but with some stability and you're a dad now right and and, and, you, and you've got you've got a family can you hear, can you hear my about. daughter screaming her head off upstairs no i, I can't i can't you got okay. a you got a good mic but those it. are the things that you've got to think about now right like, like yeah. so things are different and and i think it's great that you've found a way to by all intents intense purposes a very successful stint as an entrepreneur like you you built something great obviously the pandemic changed a lot of things and, and it may not have been the exit that you thought, but you had one and most don't have anything close to that. And, and, and now you, you found a lane where you can still exercise those muscles and still get the other parts of, of being, uh, being a part of a bigger company that you get. Yeah. I'm, I'm just getting started. One of my, my role model mentor, North star is my mom. And I grew up seeing her switch careers when it just didn't feel right when it wasn't working. And I go a lot based off of what does this feel like to me now? What is it? What do I want it to feel like? And knowing that I have the skills to do something else if this ain't it. So, uh, you know, this is, feels like career number two, Um, but I'm still young and I have a lot of, a lot in me still. And so I think it's, you know, I feel really happy with where I am and know that there's a lot more to go. Any ideas keeping you up at night of new things you want to start? Nothing that I want to start. So I have a job. I'm a general manager now at a healthcare company that does innovative healthcare delivery. And there's a lot of problems to solve and a lot of moving pieces and a lot of interesting challenges to take on. So that's great. If I were to start something, I don't think I, I don't have a desire right now to start something again from scratch, from scratch. Um, I think I would have an interest in, in leading a company again. Um, uh, but I don't have the, I'm not in a place where I'm not saying that I never would. Um, but I don't feel that desire that right at this moment. 
No, that make that makes sense, and and good that you have clarity in that. Obviously, when you're starting from scratch, and you are you are you wear all of the hats, you get to see your fingerprint on all the different parts of the business. But just the reality is that smaller company, that the scale of that impact is usually smaller, especially at the beginning. Do you enjoy now being part of a, a bigger company that is still along the, the the spirit of what you enjoy thinking about as solving? How can we make healthcare feel and look and be different? Are you? In, but now you're maybe able to do that at a bigger scale. Is that kind of satisfying to you? And in, in, in that you're able to lead something a, a bit bigger ship, even though it's not necessarily just yours. Yeah, that's an interesting question. The at this company that I'm at now, there are definitely a lot more zeros behind everything. You know, the revenue is higher, the expenses are higher, the number of people who are impacted is way higher. What I think I'm more struck by, though, is how similar the problems are and how similar the solutions are. I think at at the core, it's understanding what the problems are uh, and and getting really clear on where you're trying to go and how you're going to do it. And it like the, the size of the company, I don't think changes that. Um, I've been more surprised by how similar it is uh, than how different. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Value of One, The Power of All, a podcast created by the Ron Brown Scholar Program. If you want to hear more inspiring conversations like this one, don't forget to click subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. To learn more about the organization, check us out at ronbrown.org.